Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather round. We got a big episode for you today. This is what I'm going to call the de facto episode on inflation. If you ever were confused about what the heck inflation is or why it's here or how we track it, uh, we're going to have really the best guy for you. Not only was he the former uh, CEO of Bitcoin.com, Stefan Rust is currently the founder and CEO of Trueflation. We have him joining us today on the Crypto 101 podcast. We're going to bring him on in just a minute, okay? So hang tight. Uh, but first, I want to check in uh, with Brendan Veeman on the other side of the country. Brendan, how's your trading going, my man? Hey, the, the trading's starting to go good. I've been talking to a bunch of buddies and traditionals. They're actually coming to me and saying, hey, we're seeing a lot of fundamental activity between all these ETFs, traditionals mm-hmm. looking at putting up exchanges, PayPal's adding cryptocurrency options. Everyone's starting to get excited again, not just on the trading side with the charts, but also fundamentally in a lot of different ways. So, you know, as we'll see in just a second, the future is indeed looking bright, just like Stefan's background. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking good. Good. Yeah, we're, we're going up. Uh, you're long, I take it. You're still long. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really optimistic. Kind of the way that I've been looking at it is that maybe the short term is kind of choppy, kind of unknown. Maybe we move up and even down a little bit. But the mid and long term for crypto is really starting to look good. You look at things like the RSI placing consistent higher swing lows on the daily time frame. And that's the opposite of what we've been seeing from the top of the market, where it was putting in lower swing highs from that oversold territory. Now we're seeing higher swing lows from the oversold territory. So it's, you know, things are starting to really look bright for those longer term outlooks of crypto once again. Yeah, absolutely. The technicals are looking good. And I think fundamentally, you know, one of the other you know big talking points we're going to hit on today with Stefan uh, is the Bitcoin halving. Because if this is an episode on inflation, we got to think about Bitcoin's monetary policy and how it is the antidote to the rampant and criminal inflation that is a hidden tax on wealth and that is exorbitant in countries like Zimbabwe or Lebanon or Syria or Argentina, where they have their wealth eradicated on a, on a, on a decade basis. So anyhow, we're going to stop ranting. We're going to shut up. We're going to introduce our guest because the tension is thick. I can feel everybody in the audience want to hear your voice. Stefan, how are you doing today? Doing great here. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me and, and excited for this podcast and, and love, love preaching to the converted. So excited. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi video lock a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded 
recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. No, by the way, like we, we just got to say quick shout out to your uh, your background setup. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's just about the coolest looking scene that we've had here on the Crypto 101 podcast. I might have to tell our super producer TiVo to get me some neon in here. <laughs> yeah. So pre-COVID, um, we invested in a little studio, right? So I've always believed mm. video is the way forward. You've got to build your own media channel. You've got to have your own outlets. You've got to have your own voice. Uh, you don't want it adulterated. You don't want it abused. You don't want it cut short. Um, and so how do we build a studio? And one of our guys was a very passionate video videographer and wanted to build the studio. And so we painted it all a specific color. And there was at that time an NFT art exhibition. And mm -hmm. so I went to that exhibition and boom, lo and behold, there was the future is bright and I'm a big believer and this is the best time to be alive. There is no greater opportunity for anybody in, in, in the world today if you want to grasp it, right? And if you're willing to take a bit of risk um, and have a bit of an appetite for adventure, this is the time to be alive. We've got so many new technologies coming out. We've got so much disruption. We've got so much change, which all represents a huge opportunity um, for anybody that really wants to grasp it. And so that's why I believe the future is bright and I am super excited to be on this podcast. Well, I can't promise you that I won't steal your background. You know, for the people who are listening <laughs> in on Spotify, you can't see the green screen. But for those of you that are watching the video version of this, I have this big green screen in the background. And all that I'm thinking yep. about is how much I want to just screenshot your background <laughs> and uh, put it onto the green screen. So, you know, no promises. You might see it pop up in a few in a future episode. Yeah. Also, shout out, shout out to there. I have I have a changing neon lights there that actually yeah. I can plug into the audio and it changes wow. based on the oscillation of the audio. Oh my <laughs> lord, that is very. You know, cool. that's, also, yeah. that's definitely a bit overkill, but um, yeah. <laughs> Also, yeah, uh, Brendan, I like that quick shout out to the YouTube channel. Uh, we are trying to make our presence known here on YouTube. So if you are on Spotify or Apple, check us out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before we dive in here to, to trueflation and inflation and having um, what really got you into crypto? Like, how did you become the CEO of Bitcoin.com? Um, and, and, you know, why? Why are you here? <laughs> Um, I, I was always a big believer in, in technology and innovation across technology. I mean, I graduated university um, thanks to the Internet. Um, I don't think I would have passed if it weren't for the Internet. It gave me a competitive advantage. Mobile came along. I was a mobile entrepreneur, built mobile networks. Um, 
and saw the power of Metcalf's law, right? The power, the more people connect to a network, the greater the value of the network. And, and so I then sort of saw that we could do so much more with these little devices on the, in our hands. What is that possible? And so there was this little software called Java and Java built a JVM, a virtual machine on these devices. And I joined Sun Microsystems, helped them scale JVM wow. to, which was an open source software, scale it to about a $700 million business worldwide, working with handset manufacturers, carriers, et cetera. But the limitations were always around this walled garden set out and set forth by these mobile carriers until the mobile phone came across. The, well, the Apple iPhone came across our desks um, in about 2007. When that happened, all of a sudden, data packets on mobile networks were, you know, growing from a 70 kilobyte limitation that the carriers had set all the way up to now, you know, 100 gigabytes a, a, a download that you get in the terms of an application itself. And so as I was doing that, I then sort of saw the huge opportunity in these new developers that were going to flourish and grow and build new types of services. And that's where I built out a developer agency. So I left, set up, went back to my entrepreneurial roots, found a developer agency, and we were doing hackathons for some of the world's leading technology companies, 30 a year, anywhere on the planet. Wow. And one developer wanted to get paid in Bitcoin. This was around 2012. Mm. And so I looked into what, what is Bitcoin? I mean, I didn't know what it was. And, and then, yeah. I pay this guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, now I do, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like that. And it was on a Skype call. He was on the other side of the planet. And I figured out I got to pay this guy somehow. And it was instantaneous. No fees around the world. No middlemen. And that was brilliant, right? And it was on a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. And I was sold from then on in. And my hunt for internet and blockchain developers, but at the time, there was only Bitcoin developers. They were all anon, right? I mean, there were, a lot of them were... Yeah. Anonymous. Anon, yeah, anonymous, sorry. Um, nobody wanted to share their profile necessarily. Some did, some didn't. And we were working with large tech companies and they all wanted to make sure that the developers were certified, they were identified, they had a KYC, they had an NDA sign so we could reveal new SDKs, new APIs that were unique to a product set that we were about to launch, e.g. if I'm a tech company. But anyway, yeah, and so I was immediately hooked, grew that, and then I met um, Roger Veer at a conference, and Roger Veer had this URL called Bitcoin.com and was looking for somebody to help scale that product, and I said, yeah, we, you know, and we hit it off, we were having long conversations, we had a follow-up further down the road, and one thing led to the next. Yeah, I was the CEO of Bitcoin.com. We scaled, we focused on mobile first. So we built out a whole new mobile experience. Education was really important. How do we educate people? How do we on-ramp them into Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum? And then what were all the other coins available out there? I think Avalanche is now was the next one that we supported. But yeah, the key thing was being able to purchase physical goods and services with your crypto um, and drive velocity of money. Um, and so instant transactions. We needed to go to a shop, to a restaurant and be able to pay instantaneously. No, no fees, no commissions, uh, changing all of that around. And so we did that and managed to really build out a big network and still active network today 
um, definitely hugely dampened by this whole COVID shutdowns uh, yeah. that took place. Um, and anyway, that that's sort of my entry into crypto and um, my journey to crypto. We got Bitcoin Cash up to number four in Coin Market Cap and Coin Gecko. And my goal when I saw what was going on in inflation and economic numbers, metrics, the governance provided by the governments was not working. So mm. how do we then bring governance and put that into smart contracts, put that onto the blockchain associated with economic and financial data so that the governments can focus on the policies, which then get put into governance and smart contracts on these blockchains. And the policy associated with that is adhered to thanks to these distributed node network operators. Um, that was my mission. And I saw that actually being a huge opportunity, possibly even greater than that of just payment rails. And so that's why we set out to build Trueflation.com. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Can you tell us more about just like, were you in charge of launching that? What were the technical reasons behind that launch? Can you just like elaborate on that? No, we, I wasn't in charge of launching it. It was a fork. Um, it was a fork off Bitcoin Core. So it was um, a couple of developers uh, that actually went and felt that they could scale this better. The block size was the big debate. Uh, there was the block wars, as you may remember. Um, that's what yeah. people were fighting over. Segwit uh, was, was all segwit. the talk. <laughs> it was Segwit and Blockwit, block, block size, right? And Segwit right. was approved with the agreement that the block size was going to be increased subsequent in the next upgrade. And the upgrades at that time were coming pretty fast and furious. They were, I can't remember, but they were coming at least once a year. There was an upgrade and a Bitcoin cash. We wanted to go faster. And so there was an upgrade every half year. And so to keep that cadence going was, you know, was holding everybody together. And one of the biggest wallets in the Bitcoin cash, you know, sort of arena was the Bitcoin.com wallet. And so how were we involved with the Bitcoin Cash core developers that were working with the miners um, to upgrade the Bitcoin Cash software? And at the same time, how do we make sure that all the services that we built up on top of Bitcoin Cash were compliant and working in sync with the upgrades that were done at Bitcoin Cash? But we were, I mean, the innovations that were taking place at Bitcoin Cash um, were you know, far and, and, and beyond what Bitcoin Core was doing, which were just resting on the security elements that were developed and nobody wanted to touch that. And it was destined just to be the gold 2.0, which is great. It had serves yeah. its function. It's the backstop for all other currencies. But I think at Bitcoin Cash, our goal was to build this out as a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Um, I mean, do you think, was do you think it's succeeded? Yeah. It succeeded, or or how do you feel about the project now? I'm just curious because since you're no longer at Bitcoin.com, and <laughs> I I I mean, I have a soft spot for Bitcoin Cash. I mean, I definitely feel we had super fast payment rails. Mm -hmm. We had amazing fee structures. 
Um, and we built out an amazing, you know, POS network where you could actually go and purchase goods. And we have, I mean, the Bitcoin but point of sale. <laughs> yeah, point of sale. Sorry. Yes. Good, good point. Um, and, and the wallet app, I mean, the Bitcoin.com app is, is an amazing app. It's a great yeah. user experience, a lot of information in there, lots of learnings, a great way on a self custodial basis to save your keys and ultimately your coins that reside and are maintained by the different blockchains. And it's proof of work. And I think that's a, a big difference to proof of stake uh, or pre-mined tokens. Um, and I think that's maybe, uh, uh, you know, that, that also appeals to a, a bit of a nostalgia in, in, in crypto. Um, but there's been another fork since and another fork since, right? So after Bitcoin Cash, we had the BSV fork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the eCash fork uh, after that. And um, yeah, so... I wasn't definitely a part of the BSV, uh, definitely not a big fan of that. But eCash, some of the developers that went to support eCash, um, you know, they were pursuing the mission and vision to rewrite Bitcoin and the code base in a modern, modular fashion um, that would allow for more adaptability and more programmability on top of the Bitcoin protocol. Very cool. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So tell us the story of how you transitioned to founding Trueflation from working at Bitcoin.com. Yeah, I mean, that was the government's show. So we were working tirelessly. We were traveling around the world. I was with Roger and the team at Bitcoin.com. We had an amazing team tirelessly, 24-7, building out this network with a passion to 
make a payment network and build it faster than the regulator could keep track of what we were doing. <laughs> um, that was working at breakneck speed. Um, but then when ultimately the government shut down the economy and said, you can't travel anymore, you can't go to restaurants, you have to wear a mask, you have to stay at home. Um, and oh, by the way, we'll print a whole bunch of money. And oh, we don't worry, there will be no inflation. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, maybe it's transitory, but we got it covered. We got you covered. You don't look about it. We're the grownups in the room. You're all little babies. You have no idea what we're talking about because we're the senior economists that are, are super educated. And I studied economy in Switzerland. So I was fortunate to have a bit of insight into how all of the, mm. the, the money supply and how important that is, uh, asset appreciation, what that means. And so as a result, I looked under the carpet, you know, it's like, oh, my God, what's going on under here? If they say that, then I realized they printed more money in the last 10 years running up to COVID. And then during that one year, in whilst COVID was break, outbreak, break, the breakout started, then 100 years prior to 2008 combined. So, and they're telling us, oh, don't worry, no inflation's coming. And you shut down the economy. So there's no growth in the economy. At the same time, you're providing more money supply into the market. So just by default, I felt something needs, it's going to break. Number two is it was done manually. So um, they had panels. They were going to the stores, tracking it with iPads manually. Uh, number three, it was updated once a month. Uh, fourth, it was changed. So they go back and work with such stale data that they have to go back and change six month old reports based on the data that they've received six months later. And so mm. all of those things, I felt this is something that can be improved at least 10x. And if you can improve something 10x, isn't that our duty to go as an entrepreneur to go and do that improvement? And I sort of looked at Peter Thiel's book and sort of if it's 10x improvable and it's of a niche area, um, you can go after it. And, and so that's when I took my hat off and said, I'm going to sort of switch focus now and go after this. Put on the truflation hat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, no, I, I've been, I've actually, you know, I see Trueflation get shout shout outs on, you know, other podcasts or even, you know, CNBC sometimes just, you know, people saying, hey, let's contrast CPI, which is the Bureau of Labor and Statistics or something like that. Um, and, you know, they're they're tracking this, like you said, this old stale data. Um, and then they say, but look at Trueflation's real time index. It's, yep. you know, off by a measure of X. So, so tell us like the difference and like how 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 does that dip, like that difference come about? Is it just that you've got real time, and then if you've got real time, you know why is that not kind of like something that the government has, and, and how does a private citizen have that access? I guess. So, um, not all the data is publicly available. A lot of the data that we use is publicly available, so pri private citizens can aggregate that together if they want. Uh, maybe not to the depth that we have it um, and the granularity that we have it and we clean it. But in essence, the government has access to all of this data. It's just a matter of whether they want to go after it and, and, and pursue it. Um, we, you know, I, I can't speak benefit to from the delayed reporting and the the revamping and stuff. So it's like it it's almost <laughs> <laughs> they don't want this. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I, I mean, I felt that. I mean, I, I feel that I, I just, yeah. 
I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, it's vertically integrated. It's done by, I mean, it's like going to, you know, you, you've got your exams at school and, you know, you're writing your own score, you know, you're giving yourself the scorecard, you're doing the weighting of how the scoring happens, and you're writing the exam before you even fill it out anyway, right? And so, and then you're asking yourself, go fill out the exam. It's, it's sort of feels a bit like cheating. And so yeah. we just felt it needed to have an immutable, censorship resistant and impartial source of truth. And how do we do that, right? We're, we're trying to be as impartial as we possibly can. We'd love to work with the government and help them use accurate data to be more attuned with what is actually happening in the economy and then work out how we can extract certain elements. But we track 18 million items. We have three wow. price feeds per item that we track. We update it every single day. Um, not all the data sets are updated daily because some just, it doesn't need to be updated daily, but we update at the data set every single day and com contrast that to 80,000 items on a panel basis. Um, and in some cases with a nine month time lag. And so the data that we managed to pull together is, you know, some, in some cases with some categories, nine months ahead of, of what wow. the Bureau of Labor and Statistics pulls together. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's almost like, as I'm thinking about it, like almost from their perspective, like if they like published real time data on how bad things were, like it would just cause more volatility and the people would just be more crazed. So if they lag everything, they could always spin it of like, Hey, that was nine months ago. Things are better. Or, mm. Hey, that was nine months ago. Things are, you know, getting worse. We got to do X, Y, and Z. But it almost softens the blow to to the public, I would think. So, yeah, and also imagine if you go back and you edit a data point, you know, right. and then all of a sudden inflation's gone from three to two point five because you changed some of the numbers. Nobody reads the two point five, and nobody cares about the six month old data set that you've just edited. It right. ends up in page twenty seven, <laughs> bottom right corner. You know, in, in, in size two font. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People just read the headline, right, and exactly. they trade on that. Exactly. Uh, so I know you mentioned like um, money printing, like throughout COVID, like that was like, you know, the big uh, catalyst to this most recent bout of um, inflation that not only America, but America is also exporting that inflation, you know, in, in infinitely. Yeah. Um, so other countries actually have it worse. America's the cleanest shirt in the laundry, if yeah. you will, when it comes to inflation. But what is it that like causes inflation and, in, 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 you know, could you, is there a general statement? Is it literally just money printing by governments? Is there something else afoot? I mean, in essence, it's basically the the supply of money exceeds the velocity of that money. So the, the more money the in the velocity of that money. So how quick we exchange money. Got it. So if you know, and then there's there's their formulas in terms of how that's calculated, um, but that the fast the more money there is in there, and in order to accelerate the a velocity of money, I raise the prices because I can, because you're sitting on a lot more money, so I can charge prices, so assets start appreciating. So can some consumer goods and assets start appreciating, so I then take the money out of your, your, your availability and try to bring that back into circulation. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's in it, simple terms. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah, that's in simple terms, exactly. And yeah, I think it's telling that, you know, um, inflation is, is something that has really affected like us today. 
um, you know, higher gas prices, higher grocery prices, higher home prices and all this stuff. And it's really scared the government. It's scared the Federal Reserve. And so it's funny because once inflation, I think November 2021 was the top of the market, interest rates were still pretty much at zero. And the Federal Reserve started talking about inflation, right? And they started getting really, you know, goalkeeper-ish about inflation because there were a lot of questions that were coming up. And they said, hey, we're going to raise interest rates. And that kind of started to, you know, to fight this inflation that they thought was kind of going to be pesky. And, you know, 12 months later, they've got, um, you know, inflation or they've got interest rates 5% higher um, at a kind of at a velocity that's never been, um, you know, we've never seen that rate of change of, of the federal funds rate. And so it was pretty, pretty unprecedented. And it caused an unprecedented collapse in the value of bonds and stocks, right? And so I guess, like, the thing I think about my question is, the, the, the goal was always to get inflation back down to the Fed's target of like 2%, um, which is some arbitrary target. Maybe we could talk more about how the Fed ever even came up with that 2% arbitrary inflation number, but they have it and that's their goal, get back down to it. And we were as high as like 9% at one point. Um, and now truflation's showing that we're kind of back to like 2% or maybe like 2.5%-ish. Um, CPI saying we're at 32 um, what is it going to take for Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jerome Powell to stop hiking interest rates or to start cutting interest rates? Sorry, that was a big setup for kind of a, a one-line question. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Jerome Powell and the central banks around the world have this arbitrary number that they can't justify why 2% is the magical number. They just yeah. believe it's 2%. And, you know, I'm sort of more in the camp of Bill Ackman, where we just don't, I mean, us at Truflation, we just don't believe it's a realistic goal to aim for 2% inflation. Um, you know, given that we're in a world where we're trying to, after COVID, we learned a lot. We want to onshore or nearshore a lot of production, a lot of manufacturing. We want to be self-sustaining in terms of food supply, energy supply. That all costs money. That takes time to build out and develop. And as a result, it's going to require capital investment. Capital investment at 5% inflation, at 5% interest rate, costs money and takes time. And as in that interim time period, there's going to be a limited supply. The supply chains aren't working 100%, etc., etc. And so, therefore, we're ultimately going to hit a average number of what we think is anywhere between 3.5 and 4.5%. That's sort of a realistic inflation number to hit at an annual basis. For, for um, the long term. For the longer term, yeah. It's, it's like kind of the sustainable inflation rate. What does that mean for like our dollar or for our assets? Or what does it imply, I should say? I mean, it, it means that your assets will appreciate a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more. So, I mean, whether you whether we notice our assets are going from 2% to 3% uh, up more, one that 1%, I don't think 90% of the population will really notice a big difference. Um, I think at the at the bigger magnitude level, it, it might make a, a significant have a, a bigger impact. Um, however, 
it, it just it just economically, I think uh, goods will become more expensive. The cost of innovation will become more expensive. I cannot build one huge chip manufacturer and supply all of the equipment from that single source where I have economies of scale, I can have all of my R&D go to feed and bring down the unit cost of anything I build off the back of that R&D. Now I'm going to have five companies in five different geographies all doing the same sort of thing and building similar equivalent elements that are all going to have different factories. They're not going to be able to leverage the R&D spent into unit costs that are going to scale as big as uh, as that. Maybe that will happen again over time, but due to supply chain issues, due to jurisdictional issues, legal issues, national concerns, these things won't roll out in that favor. And so goods are just going to be getting a little bit more expensive every single year again. And by the way, inflation, right? So today we have 2.5% inflation. Bear in mind, a year ago today, we had 12% inflation. So if you combine two years together, that's 15% inflation. So the cost of you know your eggs are 15% more Maybe actually even more because eggs might be a unique category. But but your know, eggs, in on average, everything you spend is fifteen percent more expensive, and you feel that in yeah. your overall household expenditure. And that's what we wanted to, and we resonated with that. And I think that's when our timing to market was perfect with the accurate reflection of what people were feeling at the storefronts. Yeah, it's incredible. No, just just a comment. Um, what you describe really makes me feel like. Um, it's it's structural, right? It's yep. it's structural inflation that is now kind of embedded in what was once this really globally connected citizenry, this whole you know friendly um, sort of world where whatever NAFTA or whatever, like I don't know if that's the right yeah. thing, uh, but like all the uh, the globalization and stuff, and now yeah. with COVID and the tensions in Russia and communism, kind of whatever on the rise, um, like it's like really started to you know affect supply chains, um, which is, you know, causing structural inflation. So um, you, you laid it out, you know, very, very presciently. And uh, I never really you know, thought about it that way. But I feel like, you know, Brendan, do you feel like this kind of comes into Bitcoin in, in some way? Do you think this relates? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it does. And with the having coming up, people have a lot of yeah. questions like, how will it's all this tie time. into crypto? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, crypto... A lot of the currencies in crypto have an emission schedule, right? Even Bitcoin, they have an emission schedule. You know, there's a halvening coming, coming, and when the halvening comes, then you know that the rewards mm. drops by 50%, right? And what does that mean? There's less supply coming into the market, and that means that, you know, ultimately inflation drops, right? And so it gives time for consumption, but you know the planned emissions coming into the market. And most tokens, Ethereum has their, their, I can't remember the name of the site. They have a site where you can go and see how much is actually being burnt or how much is newly being I think it's ultrasound money. Exactly. That's it. Ultrasound money. Thank you. That's perfect. So check that out, right? You can actually see live. You have that transparency, how much money is being minted and how much is being burnt. So you actually see the central bank at work, if you will, and the central bank being a network of node operators. 
And a lot of other currencies, they have an emission schedule. You know, you could argue that it's maybe too fast. It's in five years, you emit all of your coins. I think actually in this day and age, given uh, how many different currencies are out there, how many different blockchains are out there before crypto really picks up, that five years is maybe a bit too aggressive. We should extend that emission schedule. However, Treasury can step in and just hold back it, can burn it, can can add it to liquidity or do whatever it wants. But there you have an element of, of management of inflation. And, you know, you see countries, we were talking about it earlier, Turkey, Argentina, right? What was this happened that just happened just the other day or today? The or yesterday, the Argentinian, you know, there was a an elect candidate elect who is now going to be the prime minister of Argentina, who's super pro Bitcoin, hates central banks, and wants to see Bitcoin as the means of money and Ethereum too, by the way, where he talks about this being the means of exchange. Why was money created? Money was created for people to exchange goods and services and simplify that exchange of goods and services by giving it a value. And that value was going to be accepted as a benchmark that people could accept and immediately do a great trade and would reduce friction and increase the velocity of trade. And money has lost that. Since central banks have taken over, money's lost that. It's now super hard to get access to your money. You have to do KYC, KYB. If you want to send somebody more than $200, oh, you have to say, why are you giving that money person money? I mean, it's like, why do I need to do all of that? I've hard-earned money, and, you know, um, that's the yeah. purpose of money, and it, it limits trade, means reduces growth loses prosperity and reduces hope in the population. And we don't want hope. We want to live in a hopeful environment where we're super excited because the future is bright. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen crypto companies. I mean, look at Coinbase, look at Binance recently. Like they've been really under fire, especially when it comes to the SEC. I mean, Bryce, would you agree? Speaking of hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, they did everything. Coinbase had did, done everything in the filing process. They spent millions. They spent months, if not years, filing the documentation, getting accountants, auditors, lawyers ready and preparing all of these documents that they would then submit to the SEC to get the final stamp of approval, which you could argue what was the productivity gains of all of those documents, of all of those lawyers, accountants, auditors, etc. And only to then find out once they're listed a year later, oh, you're bad, file, you know, I'm suing you. Even though incremental change of their business, I'd argue maybe you could argue that maybe 10, 20% of their business had changed in terms of since those filings. Um, they would argue very little has changed, nothing substantial. Um, yeah, so it's super sad to see why is the SEC doing this? And why are the regulators not allowing innovation, not allowing growth, not facilitating? And yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know, providing liquidity to providing fluidity to this Mm. innovation and this new opportunity. You know, I think that's the most ironic and comical part about all of this is that the very group that approved Coinbase to go as a publicly traded company (laughs) is now this same group saying you guys aren't regulated when they were the ones who gave Coinbase the all clear saying that they were regulated in the first place. It just, it seems like an oxymoron. 
very Kafka-esque. <laughs> yeah, very. I mean, and 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 I think you know, I mean, what they're doing to XRP, the choke point 2.0. Yeah. There's definitely a greater game plan here, um, and it's really to try and control. You know, and the funny thing is, Binance had the BUSD, which was the stable coin pegged to the US dollar, by the way, and managed not by themselves, but by Paxos. And PayPal just announced the launch of their stable coin. Right. And guess who that's managed by? Paxos. Right. That's what I so thought that, was ironic. <laughs> that's legit, but the other one's not legit. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be the guardian of the world of all stable coins, all digital currencies? That would be such a great position to be in. And given, you know, the U.S. dollar is 87% of worldwide trade is denominated in U.S. dollar. It would be such a great position to be the guardian of such an opportunity and have digital currencies built off the U.S. dollar even more so. Yeah, it's, it's, but, it's just nuts. Um, and I guess my question is, like, does this leave some significant chinks in the armor of America's, you know, innovation and sort of technological development chops? Does it, did it leave a chink in that armor and maybe give opportunity to competitive countries? Oh, it definitely opens the window, right? I mean, it right? opens I mean, the Hong window. Hong Kong is, is launching. Hong Kong is launching. Right. Dubai's booming. Totally. Everybody's going to Dubai, right? All the cities that are, you look at Ireland, there's a big hub that's booming. You've got Lisbon that's booming. You've got all these little countries that are booming, but Nothing to the, I mean, I just think it's, it's a administration issue, right? It's an administrational issue. I think when, you know, the powers change in a couple of year, in a year's time, you know, what will it look like then? Will the landscape be very different? Next year we're up for elections. You know, let's see how the landscape changes, right? I mean, um, and I think we can expect to see some significant changes. Um, and the direction will be much more, hopefully, will be much more innovative and will be much more, the incentives will be structured to reward the innovators and the entrepreneurs and the people pursuing growth versus today, it rewards the bureaucrats, the lawyers, the accountants, and the blocking of um, you know, the, the, not the blocking necessarily, but building out toll, toll booths along the way and not letting cars drive on the highways and the cars being the new companies and the startups. And <laughs> so as we move into the final quarter of this year, what is your prediction for, for rate cuts and the talks of pivots are all over the place? I mean, obviously no one has a crystal ball. We can't hold out this magical ball and say, this is what's going to happen. But do we at least have an idea or an expectation of what could be to come? I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I don't think we'll see an intra, a rate cut. That's for sure. If anything, we're going to see rate hikes. Yeah. I think in September we'll see the interest rates continue to go up. By how much? I think that's that's a bigger debate. Mm. Um, but I think you will see a rise. You've already seen three point two percent interest rate uh, inflation bump. Uh, mm -hmm. from the previous month. And I think in September, we'll see another little bump. Um, you know, people have been on holiday. They've been re revenge traveling, uh, revenge, <laughs> revenge traveling. Uh, I like that. 
uh, revenge spending is whether what we call it. Um, We're all but yeah, up, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that will result in an increase. Hospital, uh, hotels, sorry, not hospitals. Hotels, restaurants have seen higher than usual or pre-COVID booking statuses. Um, yeah. The rates are higher than they were during the pre-COVID environment. Um, air, airlines are, are full. Um, could just go to the airports. I mean, you can see it. You can feel it. It's busy. People are out and about. And um, and and why would we worry? You know, unemployment is is super low. Um, and yeah. so, good quality jobs are going to start. Um, you know, are, are going to start demanding. Or candidates for good, high quality jobs are going to start demanding more pay. Um, and what does that look like? How does that balance it out? Factories are going to start deploying robotics. If I'm building a new factory, oh, yeah. onshoring car manufacturing in the US again, am I going to hire a lot of people or am I going to install robots that pay, you know, that, that, that have an ROI of nine months? You can no pay smoke back breaks, pay no lunch breaks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No back seven. <laughs> Man, do we want to go back bright. into a factory? I don't want to go back to a factory. I don't <laughs> want to work in a factory. I'm enjoying yeah. my, you know, my beautiful, you know, neon lights in the background, air conditioned environment, <laughs> and, and, and a nice microphone and behind a computer screen. Yeah, no, I, I love it. No, I'm not going back to the factory. <laughs> I ain't going back. Uh, but no, no. Also, just you know, kind of in closing. Um, you know, in inflation, you know, probably like I like your hot take of it's probably going to run a little hotter for a little longer, um, probably going to um, cause interest rates to, you know, continue to remain higher for longer. Um, and, you know, asset prices will continue to probably rise. Um, I like it. And kind of just, in, you know, closing question, just in light of all this, like we said, inflation kind of being all screwy, it's the perfect backdrop for the Bitcoin having. Do you have any, you know, which kind of flies in the face of all this inflation? Do you have any sort of like projections, timelines, price points, hot takes on uh, the price of BTC? Going so I, I mean, I don't have, I won't give you a price on that. I mean, there's so many predictions out there. Of course. The only thing is, I will tell you that I am 99% of my asset base is in crypto. There we go. Um, and I, believe in sound money. I believe in transparent money, censorship resistant. And actually, it's even more user friendly to use a self custodial wallet than it is to use a bank account and try to send money to somebody on the other end of the continent, on the other end of the country, and someone on the other end of the world. Seriously. No, I I completely I completely agree. I always call like money uh, or a crypto money at the speed of life uh, because yeah. sometimes you know it's it's you know in different countries sending money it gets caught different bank branches it gets mm-hmm. stopped at the border or whatever right your bank throttles it and sometimes you really need a reliable uh you know f- you need reliable funds right and so that's what crypto is and you want to be able to take it with you, right? That portability element. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to carry a logs of gold with you. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just want to agree to that because people yeah. come and sometimes they complain and they go, oh, you know, crypto can be expensive to send. I had to go and do a wire transfer yesterday to, to get a house. 
and they told me it was going to cost 30 bucks. Like talk about expensive. I'm not spending spending 30 bucks on a Bitcoin transfer. I'm not even spending that when Ethereum's hot and gas fees are are, are high. I'm not spending 30 bucks on a transfer like a lot of the time. Like there are exceptions. I'm not spending that doing Binance Smart Chain or Cardano or Solana. Like, so you got you, you to gotta become a premium member of your bank where yeah. they waive the wire fees. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. So like talk about expensive transfers and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I feel you, man. And then uh, the only time I have that is when I need to get crypto out of the crypto ecosystem into the fiat <laughs> ecosystem. Then you pay like a 25 or 30 buck fee yeah. to yeah. do that. But even if you're a wealthy customer, I mean, look at, there was this UK example. What was it? Nigel Farage, right? right. I don't know if you've heard of that. You know, His bank got closed. Like, his bank got closed. They wouldn't, yeah. he's a person of not interest or something. I don't know what the terminology was, but yeah. they shut him down. He's been with that bank for, I don't know, 20 years or something. And all of a sudden, because he didn't have enough money, I mean, come on, the guy's, you know, multi billionaire <laughs> or something. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we shut your bank account down. We are a person of uh, non, we don't want to be associated with you. They canceled him, right? Right. Basically. It's crazy. You know, and I think he probably said the wrong thing, right? That would exactly he said something bad, or he, you know, he, he was pro, pro, he was pro Brexit. And so he was the Brexit guy. So we can't have that guy in here. Mm. And, but I think the key thing is what a lot of people don't realize is, oh, it's never going to happen to me, right? It never happens to me. I'm okay. Nobody's going to touch my bank. It's all safe until it does happen to you. Right. And then you realize how powerless you are. And yeah, I mean, the example that happened where I realized that especially was during COVID. The Canadian truckers. Yeah, Canadian truckers, all of a sudden, your money's taken away from, you can't transfer money to anybody, you can't buy food, your bank, you know, you can't purchase that water that you need to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And all I can say is, you know, thank God um, that we have Bitcoin, uh, which is really, really an antidote to to this venom that is uh, coursing through the veins of the global economy. But um. But there's a lot of learnings that we've, I think we, we have to extract. And so there's a lot of experience by individuals that how do we extract that and build on the new, not Mm -hmm. adulterate the new to fit the old ways. Let's take some of the experiences from the old and bring it into this new world, onto these new systems so that we build a modern future versus corrupting ourselves to fit what the octogenarians would love us to be doing, following their ways, listening to them. Instead, come across to us. We'll find the gems, the innovators on your side that want to leverage your learnings and help us build these new systems. That's how we did it with the internet. That's how we did it with the mobile revolution. That's how we're going to do it with the AI revolution. And we got to do that with the bio revolution as well. So that's all I'd like to close with. And we need to stay our course. And I love what you guys are doing at at the podcast in terms of trying to educate people about these great new technologies. And if you're coming, if you're at university, you're a grad, you're graduating, this is the time to innovate and take a job at a crypto company, at a podcast educating about crypto in an AI technology company. Pursue that um, and build your base from there. 
Preach it, brother. And all I got to say is, you know, of all those revolutions, you know, we like the crypto revolution. That's why I literally wrote a book. I titled it Crypto Revolution, um, Your Guide to the Future of Money, because this is where we see it going. We're excited. We're on the same wavelength. Stefan, man, I guarantee everybody out there, they're on the edge of their seat. They probably want to hear more from you. Where could people follow you? Where could people stay in touch with, um, you know, do you do any sort of content creation? Could we send them just to trueflation.com? Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, trueflation.com. Follow us on Trueflation. I personally have a Twitter account, srust99, S-R-U-S-T-99. And we have a, I have two, I have my own YouTube channel, which I've sort of put dormant as I've started an uncut Spotify podcast. Uh, You can find it called Uncut with the head of corporate development at ZK Sync. Um, And so we do a podcast together. We started off talking about everything. And now we talk a lot about economic uh, activities and ideas and how to incentivize and build new incentive models to, yeah, um, go where we want to go. How do we build incentive mechanisms that take us to the land of crypto? Love it, man. I'm going to add that one to my uh, my podcast rotation. Totally not a, a plug or anything, but ZK Sync, man, that's some of the most impressive technology I've seen. We've been tracking that yeah. for a long time um, and we're, we're excited. So, Stefan, yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, we'll be tuning in and we encourage all of our Crypto 101 listeners to go check that out. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening. And yeah, check out Trueflation.com. And yeah, look forward to I'm going to get the book. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll send you one. Um, we'll, we'll connect after this and we'll, we'll send you a book. Um, thank you. And everybody at home listening, uh, check us out. CryptoRevolution.com. You could get the book too. Uh, all right. Stefan, take care. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.